Digital 410 Productions proudly presents What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast with your host, Don Abernathy. Hey everybody, Don Abernathy here. Before we start the show, I want to thank everybody for hanging out with us through 2018 and uh, supporting the show. I'm excited to see where 2019 takes us. Um, Hopefully by March we will have a public podcast studio so I can start having more people in. Um, For the last year I've been recording this out of my house. And so it's a little hard to get people in and out of the studio when other people are here because, you know, it interferes with everyone's lives. But thank you so much for everybody hanging out with us this year. Uh, for the final episode, I wanted to do something a little special. A while back, a listener of the show, Jerry Oxley, told me, hey, I've listened to the interviews you've done with vets and the people who lived during the war multiple times. But for the life of me, there's one interview I cannot make it through because the sound quality is so bad. And I kind of understood that when I posted it, but, you know... It was one of the first interviews I did, and not only that, I did the interview at a beautiful home of a friend of ours, and as a lot of beautiful homes are, it's all marble, big cathedral ceilings, open spaces, which means echo, echo, echo. So a few days ago, I took the original podcast, I cut out all the nonsense, narrowed it down to strictly the interview, because originally the interview was spread over two episodes, so I've taken the interview and I've condensed it down to a single episode, and that is with Fritz Lindenbach. He was five or six years old when the war came to his town. He tells a great story about how Nazi rule changed everything in Germany, how the parents, you know, had to be careful what they said around children because children didn't know any better and would go inadvertently, you know, drop the dime on them, quote-unquote, and possibly get them in trouble with the government. And he tells a story about when the Allies came and fought the Germans in front of his town, and he gets real emotional during that time. So this is a great interview. I think it's probably 75% better I ran it through the system, I adjusted the levels, and all that good stuff. So Jerry, this one's for you. Thanks everybody so much for the support this year. If you want to continue to support the show, I did put up a new shirt. Um, We have the new What's the Scuttlebutt with the USMC camouflage cover M1 helmet. And a while back we also did the airborne helmet. And um, I'm working on some new shirts coming up in 2019. But anyhow, thank you all so much. You can find those shirts at whatsthescuttlebutt.com. That's scuttlebutt with D's instead of T's because scuttlebutt.com with the T's was already taken. If for some reason you can't find that, simply go to d-410.com. You can find it there. And if you didn't know, for some reason, you know, if you've been downloading each episode onto your phone directly from the website, you can subscribe and have them downloaded or stream live via iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, as well as Google Music. So those are easier ways to find the show. Anyhow, enough of that. Let's get on with the interview. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all in 2019. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. I am happy to have our second interview with uh, Mr. Fritz Lindenbach. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine, thank you. Appreciate your time. Let's go back to the beginning. What town were you born in? I've been born in uh, Neckarhausen which is a, a small town uh, close to the big industrial city of Mannheim. What year were you born? I'm born in uh, 1936. 1936. Now, obviously, in the late 30s, Germany was still living under the rules of the Treaty of Versailles, which had a huge impact on your economy, your gross domestic product, and, well, the morale of your country. Do you remember back then how the normal German citizen felt about 
what the Treaty of Versailles had done to your country and to the economy and what it was like to work pretty much for nothing because all your money was being sent to France and to England. Inflation was through the roof. The Deutsche Mark was worth almost nothing. Well, the, the biggest impact was, uh, as you mentioned, the economy was down, which was also the reason in order for uh, Adolf Hitler to become the leader. That has a lot to do. That was even the time where a lot of Germans immigrated in the United States as well. And uh, what I remember, I mean, as I mentioned, I'm born in 1976 as a, as a boy, we had a lot of big, we have a tough time to survive, you know. It was, the whole conversation was around food and what are we cooking tonight and tomorrow, and, and, and it was my, my childhood, actually. How many siblings did you have? I had one more brother, and he was 11 years older, and he was, uh, he was in World War II okay. on the Russian front, and he came back heavily, heavily injured, 80%. At this time, though, when you're still a child, what were, what did your parents do? What was your family doing to try to make a living or to figure out a way to survive? Well, <laughs> the reason for us to survive this was what basically grow behind the house. This is that was our survival. Of course, we had uh, we had pigs, we had goats, we had. This is why uh, we has been in a better position than the. City people, the city people have no, ha, did not have those kind of options. So you guys, you guys live basically on a farm. It's a small farm. It was not necessarily the the main income. Uh, my father worked for the train okay. at the time, but we still uh, you were able to supplement your food exactly. by growing and yes. slaughtering your own animals. Exactly. Yes. As the years went by, as the thirties, you know, got closer to the forties, and thirty-eight is when. Germany invaded Poland. Right. As that time was building up and as Hitler was getting more and more power and things were changing, obviously you're young at that time, but do you kind of remember the stress or you know how people in general, the way they acted changed? Could, was it detectable how people were changed, how they were acting or whether they're scared or, or they excited for the promised future? Because Hitler promised a lot to people because because you guys were working so hard, your money was going away, yeah. and he presented a scapegoat, yeah. he presented ideas, yeah. and in the early years, he presented make-work jobs, such as the right. building of the Autobahn, exactly. and all these things, so exactly. he was promising jobs, he was starting to yeah. deliver, yeah. superinflation hadn't happened yet, yeah. so you guys, people didn't realize that these jobs he was making really didn't produce financially for the country, but right. he was paying you guys, you know, the, the jobs were starting to appear. Right. You are 100% right. What he actually promised, he did what he promised at the very beginning. That was the first time where mothers became money when they get birth to child, to, to babies and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. That was new. He was the inventor, as you said, the, the Autobahn. Sure. He was the inventor of the Beetle Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. his and the Ferdinand Porsche. Exactly. That was the the the, the uh, uh, a family car, two adults and two children. That was his idea, and uh, he did he did actually. And, and the people, as a matter of fact, in the thirties, where a lot of people Germans moved 
out of the country in the United States, that even some came back to Germany because it was a time where the United States was not in best shape as well. Yeah, we were also deep into our depression. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I can imagine if you're a German immigrant in America and there's no jobs to be had. Exactly. And you start yeah. seeing newspaper clippings, letters from home saying, hey, things are getting better over here. Yeah. Um, we're producing yeah. jobs. Some of them moved back again to Germany. Yeah. <laughs> they got back here. Yeah, they get out of the country and they came back again. But it changed uh, uh, soon uh, after again. Uh, Hitler started on all fronts. You know, you know the, there was Stalin, Mussolini, mm -hmm. and, uh, and uh, uh, the English Prime Minister, and Hitler, that was the four who had, and Roosevelt of the United sure. States, who had those meetings. But Hitler was not the honest guy. He was a, he was a bad guy. Oh, so. absolutely. And, <laughs> yeah. and as he gained more and more power, he started creating more absurd laws. Absolutely. Like one of the first laws he passed was that no female Jew between the ages of 12 yeah. and I think 26, basically childbearing right, ages, right, right. could work in the house right. yeah. of a Gentile, if right. you will. Yeah. And through later research after the war, some speculate... And I kind of speculate the reason for that law. Yeah. Looking back at it now, it seems like a lot of the things Hitler did early on right. were due to self-hatred of himself. Right. He strongly believed mm -hmm. that he was a bastard child of a Jewish girl right. who worked for his father. Yeah. And so later on, the first law he passes, yeah. if that same law existed yeah. when he was a child, yeah. he would have never have been born. A lot of these things he did as he... he got more power, right. a lot of these rules basically would have prevent him from ever coming to power to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. I remember as a child, sitting in the stroller, mm -hmm. I remember this very, very vividly, sitting in the stroller, and uh, I came the Necker River, Rhine River, River Necker River, my town was on one side, and Ladenburg is a over 2,000 year old Roman town on the other side. Okay. And this is where a lot of Jews lived in this town, and they had their own businesses as sure. well. And I remember where the Jewish action took place, where the Nazis had gotten in the houses. They drew even I see how, still as a child see yeah. where they drew furniture out of the out of the uh, uh, houses, out of third and, and two, second and third floor and stuff. You know, when they were clearing out their apartments and exactly. putting them in. Well, and they put them away as yeah, well. Yeah, they were sending them off to yeah. ghettos and then later on it, concentration camps. Exactly, yeah. Obviously, you're a young child, but you remember seeing those sort of actions. Do you remember if there are any prominent Jewish people in your town, people who had prominent positions that just vanished one day and yeah. people just kind of... From like, one day to another, yeah. It, it, there also, I still remember neighbors which was, I mean, it was always dangerous if people had children. And if parents or growing up people discussed something about the regime and all this kind of thing and spoke about, if they said something negative in front of children, and children that talk that, talk to each other, or mention something with neighbor children, and their children mention something to their parents, they took them away. Or their teachers. They took them away. They were teachers, they were business people, prominent people, as a matter of fact. Yeah. It was the Gestapo, actually, who yeah. took them away. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when my parents been talking about, and my parents never had anything to do with Hitler and this ideal and all this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Whenever I came close, they stopped talking. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. 
they always kept this very secretive, you know, yeah. Well, once again, because you're a young age, yeah, but you're going to school, you're yeah. being told, hey, if yeah. you hear people saying these yeah. type of things, you yeah. need to report it to us. Yeah. Yeah. And they knew that as yeah. a child, you you didn't understand the severity of what was going on. See, we, we, me as a child, I had a totally different upbringing like probably children now. I has gotten, I was six years old when I got to school. I graduated when I was 14. That was the eight years schooling at the time through high school. And all the children, they were prepared. I learned my trade when I was 14 years old. Start with six. And the last four years, the first four years was ground school. The last four years, it depends on your grades. Then I got into a higher gymnasium. And I learned English already in those days. Strange enough. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I'm, my brother, I know a lot through my brother because he was 11 years older. He built even an airplane. Did he? He built an airplane in the school. He built an airplane. And as a school child, That's it's, that's crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. To think, well, to think that a school would have the, the tools and the technology available to build yeah. A, yeah. to build a plane is one thing, but right. to have the resources yes. yeah. and the children smart yeah. enough to make it happen. And not only the boys, also the girls, they had to learn how to net, how to sew, how to do. They had every day, at least an hour or an hour and a half like schooling in practice, mm -hmm. how to survive, how to do things in their later life and stuff, you know, how to learn, yeah. As you grew older and you progressed through school, do you remember the indoctrination through the schools getting worse as far as the Fuhrer, you know, the Third Reich, your dominance over other people? Did, was the schools really heavy into that indoctrination or did a lot of them try to stay away from it but do what they had to do to meet the requirements of the government? They stayed away. Yeah, they, they stayed away. For, they even have been through so much before and had been very careful. They stayed away very, very, very much. It started losing up then later where Erhard became the first uh, uh, leader in, in, in uh in, in Germany mm -hmm. after that, and or Adenauer, as a matter of fact, and uh, this is where the whole thing start changing, you know. Yeah. Well, when we had, when we had has to uh, has gotten to school, we have to stand up. The, the teacher was the one who says Heil Hitler, mm -hmm. and the, the, the pupils we have to say the same thing, and we even sing sing the song, you know, the national anthem, you know, sure. Deutschland, Deutschland, über alles and über alles in the world, you know. This is this brain was stuffed there, you know, yeah. Your brother was 11 years older than you. Yeah. And he went off to fight in the war. Yeah. Was he uh, forced to join or did he... He was forced to join. Yeah, because yeah. I knew most of the Weimar Republic's military he, was forced to join. Yeah. Because by the outline of the Treaty of Versailles, yeah. the army could only have, I think, 100,000 yeah. soldiers or less. Oh, yeah. Maybe 50,000. And oh, so, yeah. I guess, they would be forced to join. Yeah, he was in... Uh, in Arbeitsdienst, what they sell, uh, mentioned, oh, that was the b beginning. They have to go through very tough schooling before they even get into the military. That was a schooling, it was a, a north of Frankfurt, there was a, I remember I, I have been there with my mother. We visit my, my, my uh, brother there, you know, we could see him a, a couple of days. So he, he actually went off to 
like a, a schooling before he went into the military, almost like a boarding school. Before military schooling, yes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then he he was well. We we lost a lot of times contact about him. He he was later on with a very special uh, division. They called this kind of uh, division SR Standarde Feldhandhalle. That was a major division who only fight different territoriums and, and very, very uh, secret uh, missions and this type of thing. More like clandestine stuff? Exactly. It was, it was an, as a, 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 a battalion, so to speak. Okay, so they were like a sub-battalion of the exactly. SS? yes. Yeah. I would imagine as the war progressed on and we rolled into, you know, 42, 43, shortages probably got more dramatic as far as, you know, aluminum, uh, silk, food, things of that nature. No. At what point, I mean, you're still pretty young. In the 30s, Germany was starting to come up. The economy, things were seeming to be better. Mm -hmm. But then as the war progressed... Obviously, more of the resources were getting allocated to the war. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys started to feel some of the same shortages that the people in America were feeling when it came to, you know, metal silk shortages, sure. food rations, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Um, did they have food rations to supplement the hyperinflation? Because, I mean, a loaf of bread was crazy amounts of money back oh, of then. Of course, of course. Well, first of all, what we had in, in Germany... We had uh, like middle, like food stamps, so to speak. Food stamps. Okay. It's a it's a, a type of food stamps, but you only can get it certain days and certain times, and you have to cut out a stamp that was a whole page of like uh, kind of like postage stamps. Yeah, yeah. You have to cut them out. Mm -hmm. You know, but they're only good like Monday, Thursday, and Sunday. Exactly. That was the fish. That was. For the meat, that was for this, for this, for this, for certain things. You could even, you could only buy a pair of shoes per year, something like this. That was all regulated, you know, yeah. Okay. And uh, you, that was worthless unless it's been announced tomorrow or on on another two or three days. There is this, what you can get and, and stuff. But you still have to pay for Yeah. You still have to pay for it. It is not free. But you could only get it the second days, you know. So that stamp didn't give you the the, the food; it gave you the right to purchase the food exactly. if you had the money. You weren't yes. that stamp wasn't a form of currency; that was just your permission the, exactly. to buy exactly. said item. Exactly. Yeah. And so you could have all the stamps you want, but if you didn't have the Deutschmarks to pay for it, you could but, exactly. Yeah. When the um, war started to get closer to Germany. Mm -hmm and um, the Allies started to do bombing air raids. Did any of those air raids happen close to the vicinity of the towns you grew up in? Could you hear them off in the distance? Did it become normal to see planes flying over in oh, formation? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, as I said, my hometown was about eight miles away from the city of Mannheim. And Mannheim is a very high industrial city. They had the MWM, which manufactured even by now still exist the big ocean liner diesel engines okay. then Mercedes and there was even in between the, the city of Mannheim and my town there was the main railroad track Berlin, Munich Stuttgart, Frankfurt which was a very interesting target 
Yeah, between the, between the manufacturing plants and the train depots, you guys are basically yeah. high priority target. Absolutely, inclusive the autobahns. As a matter of fact, uh, I remember a lot of times when there was a, a signal where the train had to stop because there was a train station a couple of miles further down. And when the train stopped, all the passengers had to go out of the train and had to go under the train. Under the train. In case they were strafed by air? Yeah. In case they are, you know. We knew always, as a matter of fact, when we got bumped, we knew except my brother came one time. He was a sharpshooter and everything. He was fantastic in whatever he did in his life. And then he got a couple of days vacation for benefit and stuff, you mm -hmm. know. And he came one time and had a whole list from A to C. And I don't know how the Germans find out whenever they came from England, the bombers, you know, the B-22s, the B-18s, when they know exactly where they're going to. And we had a radio. That all, we had only one outlet in the whole house. Okay. <laughs> when when the radio was on, my mother could not iron. Or iron, there was no radio. Sure. I mean, this is the way it's been at the time, you know. But whenever they, they said to the radio, Siegfried, Siegfried 7, I never forget this in my life. Siegfried, Siegfried 7, this is where Mannheim was on, on target. Really? That was the target of Mannheim, yeah. When they came in formations, I was, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm sure at that point, when you guys became a target-rich environment for the Allies, where you oh, had, yeah. everything had to be pitch black. Oh, yeah. Well, it has to be pitch black, even even if there was no... I remember when we drove a bike at night, we have to tape the lamp, the lamp on the front. There was only, only a little slit. A little, little slit, so you could yeah. barely see. Same so, with the cars. So there is no 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 target to, uh, to the airplanes, you know, yeah. Cost the same, yeah. but there was hardly any cost anyway, you know. Sure. As the war progressed in Russia and the Allies started to come into Germany, did any of that ground combat ever get near your, your town, or did you guys primarily suffer from air raids? There was ground fighting. I could, I was, there was ground fighting, and I remember with my uncle, he was, he was uh, in World War One, and he had some combat, uh, experience sure. so to speak and me as a boy i always stood next to him and he was the one who, who taught me see over there and there and and i said this uh, earlier uh, that was such a dumb thing you know where the americans came in they blew up bridges mm -hmm. bridges in in my hometown from 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 my hometown to this ladenburg to this 2000 year roman town so the Germans would blow them up as they retreated before the Americans came in to slow down the advance of the Allies. To slow down to try to get them stuck and the in Americans, that river. And the Americans came in and built the pontoon bridge yep. <laughs> in two hours, yep. right next to the to the to the bridge. Yep, the engineers know. would come in and build a bridge. So they could, they, the tanks that drew, they've got over the over the pontoon uh, bridges with tanks, you know. And so yeah. essentially blowing up the bridges yeah. really did nothing to slow the advancement down over about two hours. It was a total nonsense. Yeah. It was a total nonsense, yeah. And and uh, we saw even from, because we had, luck, we were lucky enough, that was the last house of the town where we lived at the time. Mm -hmm. And we could look all the way down to the city of Mannheim and we could see where the Americans had gotten across the lux where the bridge was it blew up 
with the Americans walk across the lakes, you know. That was some lakes because uh, the Nigger River had high water and low water. And in order to keep the water level so the boats could go sure. back and forth, they have to raise and, 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 and lower the... The, uh, the water level? The water level, yeah. So they came across and there was a dam right there on the Nigger River. And this is where they put, positioned themselves. Okay. There was a fight in front of our house. Really? There was the which we saw on this on, and there were the Americans. They've been apart approximately maybe two kilometers, something like this. They fought and fought and fought until all the Germans got killed. With the days, hours, weeks? It was uh, approximately three weeks. Three weeks? Something like this. There were maybe 150 Germans or something like this. It was ridiculous. And I'll never forget this. My uncle and me, as a as a boy, we been out in the in the attic mm-hmm. and could look. There was the Germans and there were the Americans. So you guys pretty much spent that three weeks in the attic, well, or basement. This is you could not leave the house. Yeah, it was sure. much was much too dangerous and shooting constantly shooting. There is there is also a lot of Americans who lost their life as well. Yeah, I still remember with the jeep where they hauled them to the cemetery, you know, mm-hmm. where they're laying dead on the back of the jeep and stuff like this, you know, a couple of guys. And I still remember very well also where the Germans, there may be 10, 15 left. And there was, and it was right there where the railroad track was, you know, what I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. the railroad track. And there lived a family. There was a, 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 a gate where you could cross the railroad track. There was a gate with a house and there lived a family in there and there and we <sighs> I got to be careful not getting sentimental this that's all right it, it's such a uh, unbelievable memory where guys called for help and no one came out of the house and helped oh it's too dangerous no yeah. My uncle, but but as I said, my uncle, he was he was in the in the in World War One. Mm-hmm. He could not understand this. He was he, he was furious, you know. Beside himself. Yeah, because we heard those soldiers yelling for help, and and they did not go and come out of the house and help, you know. Yeah. So it was the family inside the house. Yeah, exactly. And they got probably hit with bullets and went through the walls. Well, they've been, I mean, they all had, had little bunkers, the Americans on their side and, yeah. and there, you know. Even even I remember where I, as a boy, I know how to how to explode a hand, a hand grenade. Can you believe this? With eight, nine years old, the little uh, egg-shaped hand mm-hmm. grenades, you know, we pulled the ring and threw that away. We even know, you know three seconds, three seconds, four seconds. This is what they used to be in, what they used in, in a direct face to face combat. You know, mm-hmm. they throw them in the across the, yeah. you know, yeah, in other yeah, those egg shaped head. And the Americans, they let them uh, by the by the truck loads. They let them yeah. just be. You know, they even got because there was the Nigger River right there, 
Wenn der gerade Fisch in, weil der traut uns Grenades in, in the water, you know. You wouldn't believe how many fish came up. You know? throw the grenades in the water and the fish come up from oh, the shock. Oh, I tell you, there was, and later on, there's a lot of people who still got killed where the grenade, grenades uh, has been still active. Mm-hmm. And again, bathing and stuff like this and sometimes. Some swimming and... Yeah, some, some blow up once in a while, yeah. After the three to four weeks of the combat mm-hmm. around the village, obviously... The Allies pushed back the Weimar Republic. Right. How was the feeling? I mean, was there some indoctrination on the part of the German government to try to scare you, of, of make you guys afraid of the Americans, much like the no. Japanese did? No, not at all. Or were you guys just finally glad this is oh. over? Was a relief? It was a relief. It was a relief unbelievable. Everybody experienced, uh, well, what... I mean, if you live in long enough in the system like this, you don't know what freedom means and sure. what it is. But it, it was like you live in a different world. You live in a different world. And I remember the Americans that had a, uh, a general, he, General Hoover, mm-hmm. and he introduced, that was the first mission what they did, where the Americans came in, they introduced for children to have a daily meal in the schools. So they basically, when we came in we, and kind of set up a government, yeah. we initiated a food program for yes. the school to make, make sure yes. that the children at least had one meal a day. It was the, the first mission. We had to go with with some of uh, a little pot or something and a spoon. Mm-hmm. Like a mess kit. Yeah. That was hanging on, on, my, on my school uh, 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 purse, you know. And then... Uh, they cooked, the ladies cooked the, the meals in the schools, you know, and and I I, I remember I even, that was my first baking, baking experience as a, as a boy in first school. First experience baking as a child? Was yeah, not only that, not only to scale the ingredients. Okay. To scale the ingredients and bring it to the baker, and the next morning on the way to school, I picked up the baking goods mm-hmm. with another, with another one or two guys. Then we picked up the bedding. This is when we got the uh, cocoa, uh, cocoa drink. Yeah, Coca-Cola? Co- no, no, cocoa uh, uh, milk with cocoa powder. Oh, okay, cocoa. Cocoa, yeah. And uh, one of the spuns, what the baker cooked, you know. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Very, very nice thing, you know. Yeah. Well, at the first groups who came in the town, I remember that. They came with big tanks and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and we as kids, we got scared, you know. Sure. And they like to scare us, you know. They, they, we've been standing on the wall, you know. And they came right, touched us with the big tanks, you know, and lay down, you know. And the whole street on the other side where I lived, you know, this is where all the people had to move out. Okay. And the Americans got in those private houses, and the best, the houses with the best equipped kitchens, you know, there were probably maybe 12, 15 houses, and the one with the best kitchens, they are the one who cooked for the guys, for the GIs, for the, for the American soldiers, you know. The mess hall. I still remember where I saw the first pancake. Stack pancakes, oh God. And you've been looking, oh, the pancake. <laughs> you wouldn't believe this. You know, what, what if you, Going through times, you know, sure, and, and all of a sudden, ah, pancake, more yeah. pancakes, and yeah. 
Well, just the amount of food in we general. Can, yeah, yeah. And, and those guys, that, those two guys, they had some fun with us, you know. Sure. And they said, hey, boxing, you know, then we box for a chewing gum, you know. <laughs> Hershey bar. <laughs> Hershey bar, you know. And they got a chocolate every, every uh, other day. They got... Uh, New rations of chocolate. Exactly, exactly. Cigarettes and so Oh, that was a hot, a hot, a hot thing. Cigarettes, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because the the American cigarette was such a, a better quality than oh, yeah. the than well, the there was no cigarette. Well, they they used the tobacco what grows on the field. Sure. And and dry them and and they try to ferment them with all kinds. I remember my my brother when he 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 invented a a machine who cuts the tobacco. You know, the leaves has been rolled up. You know, mm-hmm. with with some kinds I don't know thick with fixed taste and flavor and stuff like this. And they got in the pipe and under the front, you know, they put, got, has gotten a, a, a knife swirling around the middle. And this is the kind of stuff what those people smoke. You know? yeah. It stunk like crazy, you know. Oh Pretty much smoke in their front yard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. As the war wound down and the... Um, the fighting stopped. Like you said, you had about three to four weeks of combat, plus the bombing missions in your area. Right. How much of your town was pretty much wiped out? I mean, how much of it was decimated? My town was not wiped out at all. We had a, a couple of hits. Even my house was hit, but but by the German flag, you know, by the sure. for the German grenade, you know, because. We have, I mean, that was a, a nightly, a nightly show, so to mm-hmm. speak, you know, where the planes at night choose each other, and in the, in the spotlight, you know, the they shoot the flag. We had two flag stations mm-hmm. around the town, and uh, they missed those uh, uh, airplanes, you know. We what? got, we got almost directed, uh, directed almost, and we've been sitting in the shelter, just behind, okay. just behind, right there. Yeah. How long? Or what was the post-war era like? You know, you had all these installations. You guys were under extreme government rule for so long. Now the war is pretty much wound up, and it's time to try to get back to normal, but it's been so long since you had normal, mm-hmm. plus some of the damage done to the towns right. and all the government installations. Was the, was the rebuilding time was it slow was it quick fast very fast fast 10 years after the war 10 years after the war you never know there was one i would imagine living under such a tight rule for seven eight years once that that chokehold's taken away people just they flourish they have they have one they have nothing holding them back but two let me yeah let me say something and i and i want you not misunderstand me what, what i say what had has been going was the, what the nation has been going through in all those years where the Hitler was the leader and, and during all those difficult times. What the Germans have to learn that was what no nation in the whole world has been going through. Discipline, a must, the whole nation was marching even from children that hardly could walk, they had to march. 
And I remember because my brother was 11 years old that I had the Jungfolk, Jugendfolk, that is like a, a children's army, so to speak. Hitler Youth? Hitler, yeah, Hitler Youth. They've been in sport. They've been in everything, in everything. And this is actually the attitude what helped Germany after to build up Germany in relatively no time. And my opinion, my opinion is still, there is still something left, or even now in those days. is still something left. Or even people who, who are uh, a little younger than me, who never really, they not know this, they not know this, but I, I still can tell the way we has gotten then uh, into, into uh, 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 in our trades, how to learn the trade, and then, and then, and that was still... The work ethic. The work ethic, exactly. You cannot change this from, from one thing to another, you know. Sure. And, I mean, Lee is in business, and what is in business so important? Discipline, being there daily, doing mm -hmm. whatever needs to be done, a lot of people who not know that don't even know what you're talking about, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is what helped uh, Germany after the, the war. Not to mention anything else, but the discipline and and the speed. And oh, I, I can understand that wholeheartedly because even on this side of the the pond, you had all these young 18, 19 year old American men coming home. And so many of them were in the military right. that when they went back to work, whether it was factory, whether it was schooling, right. they, they had a, obviously a different level. They still had that same discipline yeah. from being in the military yeah. that our whole society operated smoother, yeah. operated better. Yeah. And then you had their children yeah. kind of yeah. rebel against them in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And things have kind of gotten socially a little more, let's say, lax. Yeah. Because fewer and fewer American citizens have that sort of military background, the discipline, whether it's the military mm -hmm. or Boy Scouts right. or just anything. Yeah. As we move along, more yeah. and more people are just letting let me be and do my own thing. Right. right. That it really does affect society as a yeah. whole. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you look back on that generation, whether it's Germany, whether it's the United States. Great Britain. Yeah. Anytime you have a huge portion of your population go through that sort of training and discipline, yeah. where you're basically realize my actions count, and I, you know, I play a role right. in this venture, whether yeah. whether it's operating a business, right. whether it's being in the military right. or being a stand-up person yep. in your community, yep. you realize what I'm doing yep. impacts other people. This is essential in 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 those areas. Absolutely. Yeah. As you remember, you know, uh, that had to do with, with, with performance as well, you know, physical, sure. mentally, psychological, in all areas. And in 1936, that's where the Olympic used to be mm -hmm. in Germany. Yeah. And... Jesse Owens. And Jesse Owens. Pissed off everybody. Pissed off everybody. How many four gold medals or maybe yeah. or six or something like this, yeah. Yeah. He, he, that, that was the oh, that was the biggest downfall in for this. Oh, especially for, when, <laughs> when you're in Germany and you have a maniacal leader trying to tell everybody that we're the superior race. Yeah. And not only 
are we the superior race, but we have the most superior people. Exactly. The Aryans. Exactly. And then to have yeah. <laughs> a black man from yeah. America come yeah. over and just decimate everything. Exactly. I see hugest egg on yeah. your face ever. I can imagine. I can imagine the meetings that that they had. And I'm sure somebody at the Olympic Committee had to had to pay price for oh, some absolutely. of these things. Yeah. It's just crazy. There are some people who lost their hats, I guarantee you. Because this happens, you know. Yeah. Well, it's amazing to think that here we are in 2018. <clears throat> over in North Korea, they're going through a very similar thing as far as the indoctrination goes. But it's they're raised to believe that this guy's not only a leader, but he's their god. Right. That he makes the sun come up, the sun go down. Yeah. And I'm sure with your experience of growing up in Germany at the time, you can probably kind of not relate, but have a sense of what some of the citizens of yeah. North Korea are going through as yeah. far as indoctrination, the overpower, the rule, right. the lack of freedom. Yeah. But as you said, as you said, if you live in that time, you really don't know what you're missing until you have it. Exactly. Yeah. I just had a conversation with somebody the other day, and uh, what I I not want to get in politics and, and anything else, but I've been through fiery and and fears and stuff like this already in my in my. Oh, world. absolutely. And I guarantee you, if anybody in the world would know what means war. Mm -hmm. There would be no war. And as far as I'm concerned, anything, anything what happened in the world in order to prevent a war is the right thing to do. Regardless if it's, if it's this party, this party, against, whatever, war is the worst things what can happen. It is, it's undescribable, undescribable. You know, how does millions and millions of innocent people, children, you know, ah, this is unbelievable, you know. Well, that's part of the reason why we do this podcast, these interviews, is because I'm only 40 years old, but in the last 37 years, I can tell a difference. We no longer say, learn from history or bound repeat it. Yeah. Especially now in the last few years, especially here in America, when a group of people don't like something that happened in the history, instead of educating people to prevent it from happening again, they're trying to erase it all. Yeah. And if you erase something, 60 years from that point, how do you prevent it from happening? Because people don't believe that it happened to begin with. Exactly. And so it's very, very important, and that's why I do a lot of the things I do at museums, is to not only remind people and educate people, that the war happened, but the reason the war happened and why it's important to study and know your history so that these things don't happen again. Yeah. And it concerns me greatly that, especially with these college kids, right. Right. instead of confronting something that's scary and learning from it, they want to turn their backs and have somebody sweep it away. Yeah. And that's a very dangerous thing. Absolutely. Especially now that our history books are becoming digital. Yeah. I'm all for if you want to have digital fiction books, but we need to keep our history books yeah. in a hard copy because digital is too easy to edit. Exactly. 
If you don't like something, you can just highlight it, delete, yeah. save, yeah. and it's gone. Whereas if you yeah. have your hard copy books in yeah. your libraries, in yeah. people's homes, the truth will always remain. Right, right, right. I, I tell you, I love America, but in all areas. I just have a problem with the foreign policy and diplomacy a little bit. Ask the question, who wants to fight America? Nobody. Why not make and adjust your foreign policy and diplomacy on this notion? If you push a crazy guy like this Mr. Ung, whatever, in North Korea, if you push this guy, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, if you push this guy in the corner where he loses his life, he's doing dumb things. Yeah. There is no question about it. This is what he's going to do. He has nothing to lose anymore. This is what he's doing. This ideal, you know, for, you know, and I think America should say more, not what they want, what they don't want would be the better way to come to a more uh, uh, understandable uh, uh, diplomacy. You know. Couldn't agree with you more. After the war, and as you got older, I know at some point you became a pilot, but let's let's talk about your your growing up in post-war Germany. Mm -hmm. Did you go on college? What path did your life take, and how was it affected by the things that you had gone through? Obviously, you know, growing up in hard times, you knew what it was like to live through hell, and it probably gave you a greater outlook and realized everything else in the future is a gift and not to squander it. Right. What did you do after you graduated high school and you, and you started down the road as a young adult? Well, this is, see, this is another thing where, where Germany has, uh, just for instance, America uses millions for uh, apprenticeship programs. Okay. Millions for apprenticeship programs. Germany use billions for apprenticeship programs. That's the difference. Educating their citizens in a skilled this trade. This is the difference. You hire someone, it doesn't matter in what trade he, he is, where he comes from. If he has a master's degree and you hire him as a plumber, as a this, you don't have to explain him nothing. He knows it. Mm -hmm. he, he's been through this. You know, this is basically what you... This is the, it's not only that, also my, the way I am and what I achieved, I was raised for success, period. That was my mother. That was my mother. In experience, she came, she came home one time and said, I just want you to know I was 19 years old. On Monday begins, be, begins your uh, preschooling for your master's degree. I said, mother, I cannot do this. She said, do you want to tell your mother what you cannot do and do? On Monday, you go to school. He said, I said, mother, I have to have five-year apprenticeship after my three years to learn my trade. Then I have to five years before I be eligible even to make a master's degree. You cannot tell your mother. I was talking to your boss where you work for, and I was in all the institutions. If your boss 
and they are saying he is capable to do it, you can do it. The only difference is you get not handed out your master degree. You get handed out after those five years. But this has nothing to do. Fritz is going to school on Monday. Simple as that. <laughs> Case closed. No more question. That's it. And this is the way I just, this is my answer to, this is the way I was raised. Yeah. Either you do something perfect or you don't do it. Because you're putting your name on it. <sighs> my mother's name was on my father's name. Yeah. Think about it. This is the worst thing for parents if children embarrass them in, in the public. Home. I was with my daughter, drove. There was no car available you know, later on. I had bikes and all kinds of stuff. My daughter, she was approximately three years old. We've been driving with the train. The train was, all seats were taken. There came a, a, a old lady, older lady from the market, heavy, like, and, and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and I said to my daughter, let's get up. She said, no. And on the other side was sitting a young mother with her child also. She said, this, she, your daughter didn't have to get up. She paid too. And I squeezed my daughter in her leg, you know. You wouldn't see, you wouldn't believe how, how quick she was <laughs> up, you know. And let this old lady sit. Come on, you Courtesy. know. What, you know, this is, this in little things, you know, which has a huge impact. I guarantee she, she still, Talk about this in those days, and she's already 55, 54, you know, my daughter, you know, yeah. When I was younger and my parents were split up and they were trying to find their way in life, from the, about my, when I was two until about seven, my grandmother and my grandfather raised me, and my grandfather was in the war, and it was in Kentucky, and so there was a lot of yes ma'am, no ma'am taught to yeah. us. Mm-hmm. Fast forward 38 years, now when I'm at a grocery store, or on an office and I say yes ma'am no Mm ma'am that is so foreign to people they think they always ask me were you in the military I'm like no I was just raised by people who taught me courtesy and how to talk to my elders and to how to have decorum in society absolutely and the fact that something as simple as yes ma'am or no sir to a complete stranger that they they are almost offended by it because they're they're not used to it It it's it's very concerning when I listen I listen sometimes to anything on TV or so. That makes me so mad when the always say, me and. Mm-hmm. I learned this as a child already. You always mention yourself at the end, last, last, at the end, you know. Yeah. <laughs> this is so crazy, you know. <laughs> well, and they've actually, they have actually changed that in the education system now where it is no longer wrong to say me and Bob yeah. instead of Bob and I. Yeah. So I understand later in your life you became a professional soccer player. Mm-hmm. At what age did you get the soccer bug? When did, Were you very, very young? Obviously soccer is predominant in Europe in that, in that side of the world. At what age did you start playing soccer? As soon as I could walk. As soon as you could walk? My father was a great soccer player. Because all you need is the ball and a little bit my of gas. My brother was wordless. My brother was had nothing to do with sport. He was a different... My brother was a learner, more so. I did not like to learn a lot. 
theoretically. And I'm not a reader either. You yeah. know, I have a hands-on. I'm artistic. So my brother was, but well, I was, I was guided in soccer as, as I said, as soon as I could walk. You know, yeah. I have thousands of pictures. You know, <laughs> my God. <laughs> How old were you when you? were actually hired on to a professional soccer team. 19, 19 20 years old. Yeah. I was even I was even uh, popular before I had gotten to the United States in 1960. Even before that there's, there is a there is a, I have the things over there which says in the newspaper Fritz Lindebach is going to America. I I mean I was very uh, well known uh, in in advance already, you know. Yeah. What team did you play for when you came here? Here I played. Well, that was <laughs> that was actually uh, I played for Cape Paul, as a matter of fact. But my concentration over here was not necessarily anymore on soccer. That was business oriented. This is how I came over here too. You know, uh, I was represented for my uh, ex-company to open a bakery over here, and. Uh, that was actually my, my mission, you know. But uh, the problem, we find out the problem was that is we could never... Sadly, I have to say, I have never met anybody here in America. And I had a couple of uh, uh, jobs, different jobs, where I really could learn something from, you know. You never had a true mentor no. over here? No. No. And I, I've been in all kinds of schooling, in culinary school, in decorating school, in, you know, that is nothing what I, I miss this, I have to say. I miss this a lot. The same like flying. <laughs> I miss it, you know. When from one day to another, you know, I have no more, uh, what age no more obligation, you know. And uh, what age did you become a pilot? I became a pilot in, uh, in uh, 81. Over in Germany or over here? Here, here? in the United States, yeah. Did you fly commercially or no? Just only private pilot, but I also have the uh, instrument rating. Yeah, that was another experience. I was, <laughs> I was in in San Augustine with a lady at the time, and uh, the weather has gotten bad, and then I said, "Let's go. We have to take off," you know. And then I gave her the section. And I said, "Can't you take a look?" Then I looked over, she had her thing upside down. Oh, <laughs> no. And then, at the same token, I heard the tower talking. I was over the airport. <laughs> I was over the airport in Orlando, I tell you. And then I said, well, logic, you know, the best thing, this is what I learned in life too, uh, common sense. I would, would never believe, Lee, how less people have common sense. I thought this is what the majority of people have, common sense, you know. No, I was so dead wrong, you know. This is what helped me at the time. I did not answer, of course, at the time, but the tower talked to me. But I thought, now we're going to fly west, I help with it, go in the Gulf. Yeah. This is where you'd be safe, you know. <laughs> That's what I did, you know, so I got out of there. I landed in, in Fort Myers. That's it, instrument waiting. That yeah. was my... Yeah, for instrument reading, which is a difficult, a difficult process. It's not easy. You really have to learn for instrument reading. Yeah. yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. As a child growing up, 
even more back then, you were taught to respect your elders. Never in a million years did you think that so many adults were so goddamn stupid. <laughs> it's like, you, as a child, you thought, well, he's an adult, he's got to know what he's talking about. I'm going to listen to And now that you're an adult, you're looking around like, yeah. everybody's stupid. Yeah. Unreliable, undependable. Some people, how are these people alive? How are they taking care of children? Exactly. Some, there are some people that say something, there is not even an answer to it. Yeah. They say something so stupid, you know. Why you do this? Oh, God. Yeah. Common sense. Oh, boy. Well, common sense and the ability to even just put on the appearance that you're in control of a situation. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what that situation is. Perfect example. I was at a big box home goods store. Yeah. I needed a part for my sink. Yeah. Employee was walking my way. I asked him, hey, where can I find this? Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. I work in this department. And scurried off. Now, I've worked in those positions. What you say is, sir, I'm not quite sure. However, once I'm done with this customer, I will find out that answer and we'll get you taken care of. Yeah. Even if you're not in control, yeah. at least put the appearance. Yeah. yeah. Not just, uh... And I learned also, this is where intelligence comes into play. There are a lot of smart people around. Mm-hmm. But if they are not intelligent, they talk so many dumb things and never know when to shut up. Intelligent people, they don't have to be smart. They know when they have to shut their mouth. This is the difference. And this is what a lot of people don't understand. This has to do with intelligence. They can be forever not educated, but they know when to shut up. Exactly. The first millionaire I've ever worked for was in California. And he told me, you know what your problem is? He's like, you don't listen to respond. You wait to talk. And when you're waiting to talk, you're not listening to what you're being told. You're not learning anything because you're going through your, what you want to say in your head while that other person is talking. He said, shut up, listen, process, and then respond. Exactly. Don't have... Don't interrupt anybody when they talk. Let them talk and let them talk. The more they talk, the more you learn. <laughs> And don't have your answer ready before their talk is done, because you're not you're not replying. You're uh, just giving an excuse. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, if there's something that you want to get out to the new generation, anything that you learned from your experiences living in Germany, especially during the wartime, I mean, you firsthand witnessed the horrors that men can do to one another. If there was a message that you want to get out to people, what would that message be? Education. And listen to people who know more than you do. Basically. My, my, yeah. Well said. About 10 years ago, I, I stumbled across the realization. In my opinion, the biggest joke that God has played on man, no matter how old you are, when someone older than you tells you, hey, don't do that, I've done it, the outcome's not what you're going to want it to be. It doesn't matter if they're 19 and you're 15, they're 40 and you're 30, they're 60 and you're 50. More often than not, you think, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I'm younger, we know what's going on. 
and people don't listen to somebody who has more life experience than they do and who's been there, it seems no matter what age you are, you feel that you're no more, you're smarter, and you'll figure it out for yourself. And I think that is a horrible way to go through life. Absolutely. Anybody has the option to meet very smart and intelligent people and then not do it. Why does this, the drug problems is such a big issue in this, this opioid problem in this country. Why do they have to try everything and know exactly what the problem is going to be, you know? Why they have to, this is this case always goes in the same direction, actually, you know. My old uncle, I mentioned earlier, who was in World War One, he always said, he said, he was a very simple, normal, upbringing human being. Knows what's right, did in his life uh, uh, whatever anybody uh, normally is doing and stuff like this. He built his own house and then that family. He always said, he always said, I am so smarter than there. I said, why, 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 why do you say this? He says, because I'm older. <laughs> he says, I'm older. Yeah. He was a smart man, really. <laughs> and I think that's one of the other downfalls to Western society, is we don't put the value and importance on our seniors, yeah. as other cultures do. Yeah. It, it almost seems that, ironically, the more quote-unquote primitive the society is, the more importance and quality they put on their elders so they can learn right. what they've learned. Whereas more the quote-unquote civilized or progressive people or societies, they just, once again, I, I'm younger, I know more, I'll figure it out on my own. And once again, that's a very dangerous thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because not only are you losing history, you're losing knowledge. Yeah. You're losing yeah. life experience. Yeah. You block yourself from being open, you know. Yeah. yeah. You're doing yourself a great disservice by not learning from other people and especially more successful people yeah nowadays it's it's like people have such shame yeah when their life isn't where they quite want it to be but ex instead of learning from more successful yeah. people and trying to be around more successful people to learn to take that knowledge in yeah they would rather be the king of the less successful yeah. people yeah instead of learning stuff they yeah. can just feel better about themselves because yeah. i'm doing better than x y and z yeah Instead of being the guy at the low end, yeah, yeah. trying to learn from these people to figure out how to advance their life. Yeah, yeah. See, this is something where I have to say, in Germany we have, is, I believe we have the best program when it comes down to trades and stuff like this. This has nothing to do, the people that they are smart and not as smart than anywhere else. Just the program is a different one. You get into a program. You get tested, constantly tested. You get constant, and this is very important. They wanna, they wanna uh, get out of the uh, uh, black work, you know, working under the table. They wanna eliminate this under the table working, you know. And what they try to do? This been a few years ago. They try to to eliminate master degrees in certain trades. Okay. 
That was the dumbest thing what they have done. And they reversed it again. But after it's been reversed, it's, it's another problem because they, they don't agree to the reversal, you know. But they're getting there again where they're supposed to be. Test is important. There is no question about it. So it would seem, like you said, they instead of trying to encourage or to make people work for the master degree, well, instead of making them feel bad because they're not able to succeed, we'll just get rid of the master degree yeah. so that everyone can achieve. They lower the whole standard of, lower of the standard. all trades. You know, yeah. And then that technically, if now no one can succeed because you can't get to that level of exactly. education. Yeah. And I would agree with you, I have quite a few German clients in mm -hmm. my, my business world. Mm -hmm. And I work on computers and networking for a living. I go to the American counterpart and I ask for some information, whether it's a password, whether it's something to do with their network. Yeah. They don't know. I ask my German clients. They always say, one second. They go get a book. <laughs> they get that book. Everything is written in there. Almost to a T. Every German client I have, everything's documented. Everything's exactly where they know they have. And so it's just so much easier to work with because they have that education or the just the design the importance on documentation research and just making it easier on yourself because if this is information you need why not have it why not know where it is and be more diligent about it mm -hmm. and you can kind of see that clearly that through your guys' school system and the reliance on the education and the over abundance and the standard if you will I mean it's one thing the German people have always been known for is the amount of perfection you guys put in your work. Mm -hmm. A lot of people still say German stuff's over-engineered. Yeah. How you over-engineer something, I don't know, because it's <laughs> you're basically perfecting it. Now, when it came down to the war, in the cases of your tanks and your airplanes, when you're quote-unquote over-engineering stuff, it takes longer to produce that because you're perfecting it. Whereas the Allies, we're just stamping it out in General Motors yeah. and Westinghouse and GE yeah. are just running off the line. Yeah. And so your tanks were better than ours. Yeah. For the most part, your airplanes were better than ours, but we had the numbers. Yeah. Because we didn't put in the effort. We didn't perfect it. Yeah. We just make it, make it work and make yeah. it happen. If this is what this is what end also uh, World War Two quicker than than you know because yeah. America outmanufactured yeah, Germany yeah. as simple as that you know you could have the which was a good thing don't get yeah it turned out always perfect you know but you can have the greatest tank in the world but yeah. if you only have one and we got 500 <laughs> exactly you may take out 350 of yeah, them but yeah. the rest of them will still come in yeah. and win the combat yeah, yeah and yeah. so that's one of the that over engineering and the quest for perfection that's one of the things that cost the Third Reich yeah. the war was yeah. because you guys couldn't produce your planes fast enough, you yeah. couldn't produce your tanks yeah. fast yeah. enough, yeah. let alone the Navy. Yeah. They had also the, the first uh, jet engine, you know. The, the, the Messerschmitt had yeah. the first jet, jet engine, you know. Yeah. Into rocket. <laughs> into, into NASA space program. Exactly. People yeah. don't realize that we were <laughs> able to send, when we sent the first man to the moon, the NASA technology and most of our scientists were ex- expats from Germany we got their Mobis Mobis and, and uh, uh, Werner von Braun yeah, you know, we, yeah we basically got the best minds in German yeah. science and brought them over here yeah and, and the Russian had the plans you yeah. know 
Yeah, the Russians had the plans, and the Americans had the people. Yeah. See, this is exactly we, we talk about constantly the same thing. You know, this is always based on discipline, on doing the right things. You know, this is constantly essential. You know, if you want to to succeed at some time at anything in later life, there is just no other way. You know, yeah. and I see so so many uh, instances. Uh, I wish the parents would be uh, more forceful when it comes down to that. You know how? Uh, I mean, if if I be a stupid parent, I cannot raise a smart kid. I mean, as simple as that. You know. Yes, I I look for for help, but you still have to be smart enough to find the right help. If you be stupid, you not look for it. You know? <laughs> it's all. You know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, and I think it's the breakdown of the modern-day family structure yeah. that's causing a lot of these problems because yeah. most, a lot of younger kids especially, yeah. they're growing up in single-family homes. This is amazing what a human brain, children, what they're capable to if they've been trained the right way and be guided the right way. There, there are no stupid people in the world if they've been guided the right way. This is that just have not the the people behind who guide them in the direction, you know. And not to over not to oversimplify it, but we're all animals. No, of course. And you can of see course. the same thing with we, we're all stupid. You can say we're all stupid. Yeah, you know. And, well, and you can see the same thing with a good dog owner. Yeah. And a horrible dog owner. Exactly. If someone takes the 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 dog. And spends time with it, yeah. teaches it what to do and what not to do, how yeah. to behave and, yeah. and where to use the yeah. bathroom and whatnot. That puppy grows up to be a yeah. well-behaved dog. Yeah. Whereas someone who just ties it to a rope, yeah. throws it in the front yard, the dog's going to bite people. The dog's going to have anxiety. Right. And and once again, not to oversimplify yeah. it, but children are the same way. If you leave a child to its own devices yeah. and you don't educate it and you don't teach it what's right yeah. and wrong then you're going to have two completely different we have, children. We have in my hometown a very, a very, talking about dogs, a very successful uh, dog club you know, mm -hmm. in, my home, in my hometown. They have about uh, maybe 100 members or maybe, maybe more. And they have all the kennels outside on the clubhouses where all the dogs, whenever they came, they put them in the kennels and then the owners go in the clubhouse and have their drink. They're always the same dog who make a lot of noise and they're always the same dogs who do not make noise. And you know why? That's up to the owners. Mm -hmm. They know exactly in the clubhouse when a dog makes noise. They know exactly who it is. Oh, this is idiot dog. <laughs> they compare the dog with the owner yeah. or vice versa. Because it's the owner's interaction the way they take care of that dog. Exactly. They let this do happen, or not told the right thing, you know. Yeah. And once again, a teacher can tell you the same thing. Oh, same thing. <laughs> here's Susie, her brother's Jim. I had Jim two years ago. He was a nightmare. Yeah. And so you know, there's a good chance Susie's going to be a nightmare because you have the same parent as Jim who wasn't around. Yeah. Whereas there's Bobby. Bobby's yeah. a great student. I had him three years ago. Here yeah. comes his sister. Yeah. The likelihood that his sister is going to be yeah. good, just like he was, because yeah. of the parents. Yeah. You know what my philosophy is about. When we talk about age, my philosophy, my philosophy is if you uh, want to progress in age, is what we all have in mind, you know, getting as old as possible, right? Mm -hmm. So 
Well, the the most important thing you have you have genes what you inherit from your parents, and you cannot change them. Sure, they are there. They are there. With them has to agree. The number two issue is how much you abuse your body by drinking a lot or not enough. <laughs> drinking a lot, how to abuse your body. I mean, if you like it or not, this is facts, you know. And number three, how lucky we are. We can die on each corner in an accident. And you can be the most healthiest person, you know. This is my three versions of when it comes down to age, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And as you just said, you're not, you're not promised tomorrow. Clearly, how you treat your body is one thing, but there's always yeah. a chance. Yeah. And I'm sure seeing a lot of the things you saw as a yeah, child, yeah. especially when it came to war, yes, training helps in war, but a lot of it yeah, is yeah, chance, yeah. whether that bullet hits you or the guy next to you. Right. And so I'm sure seeing that amount of destruction yeah. and horrors that you experienced, yeah. that probably made you take on the outlook mm -hmm. that life is a gift right. and that your future's up to you. So never many, take, and you should never take it for granted, you know, no matter what it is, you know, yeah. So many people use their past as an excuse why they can't succeed in the future. Yet you come from a generation and from areas that were literally, some, some of these small towns were yeah. wiped off the map. Yeah. A lot of the Jewish families, you know, their families were taken from them. Right. And they had two choices. Right. Dwell on it. Right, right. Or, for the sake of the family, yeah. their name, yeah. move past it, right. try to achieve right. and make a legacy. Right, right. And it seems like nowadays, with the younger generation, and my generation included, so many people want to take the victim mentality to justify and give them an excuse not to try and strive for the future because I can't succeed. X happened to me when I was a kid, or this happened to me. <laughs> And it's like, well, that's horrible shit. Yeah. It may affect parts of you and how you feel about things, but instead of making that hold you down, use that as a propellant to push you into a better future. And I've seen households where you have three siblings. They all had the same childhood. They had the same horrible parents. And one of them will hold on to that childhood and use that to justify their poor actions, their drinking, their drug use, whatever. And the other two siblings will look at that bad past and realize they want more out of life, more for their children, and they use that to get away from that life. And it's just so weird that you have three or four people from the same family yeah. and how drastically the outcome is different simply based on how they take their childhood and their past and either dwell on it and hold on to it as an excuse because they truly just don't want to try. They don't want to go out and bust their ass. It's just easier to say, well, right. because this happened to me, what was me? No. And it just, it kills me to see people not utilize their potential. And I think that's one of the biggest problems we have is fewer and fewer people realize what they're capable of doing. And I think if everybody realizes, no matter where they're at in life, they're capable of at least 30% more. Whether you're successful or you're not, you know, if you're successful, you're probably work, you probably get a l little further down the line. If you're not successful, you can get further up the line. 
But I just think it seems like people are starting to lose appreciation or even awareness of the potential that other people have in them. And I think that's very dangerous as well. People, we as, you know, this is getting a little little off to the side, but it just, it's, I just wish more people would realize that they're capable of so much more. And a lot of it doesn't take a whole hell of a lot yeah. of effort. Yeah, yeah. You know, the capability is so great. The capability is even so great, it's, it, it's even undetectable. You cannot detect capabilities. Where, where do you know where your boundaries are? You, you don't know this. Yeah. You not know it. Not even if you try to extend uh, your whatever it is, your boundary in all the areas, you don't, need, you don't even know where the end is. But in the meantime, if you do the right things, you realize you do something which is the right way to go in order to succeed, you know. And this will happen. And if people are smart enough and not getting crazy, they have unbelievable success and have and go a lot of problems out of the way. Yeah. Instead of being jealous of someone having something you don't, try to learn, hey, what do I need to know? This, how, how, you can also see it as an inspiration. Yeah, exactly. Instead of negative and positive all the time. Yeah, instead of hating them for what they have, yeah. appreciate it and, and try to, like we said before, you can either try to associate with more successful people and yeah. learn what they yeah. have learned, yeah. take whatever yeah. knowledge you're willing yeah. to give you, or you can just be jealous of them and say, the hell with them. That takes them to get nowhere. Yeah. You know, exactly. I'm so happy for everybody who succeed, who are happy, who who are just doing the right things in life. This is for me fantastic ever. This is this is the kind of people I like. I like to associate with, not with negative problems, you know. <laughs> yeah, I I like people who are be above this kind of uh, thing, you know. This kind of yeah. yeah. You know what Albert Einstein said? What's that? Albert Einstein said, if you want a happy hour, go to sleep. If you want a happy day, go fishing. And if you want a happy year, make sure you have at least enough money to live on this. And if you want, most important, a happy life, do what you do every day and like what you do. And I think those are perfect words to go out on. Thank you for your time, Fritz. Thank you. Thank it was very time. educational. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, we will check with everybody next week. Thanks for tuning in to the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you.